Hey everyone, this is Laura, producer and editor of Roadmap to Joy, here with a content notice for this episode. In this episode, we talk about grief, which includes discussions of sensitive subject matter, including suicide and infant loss. We believe it's crucial to talk about these subjects with empathy and compassion, but we also want you to prioritize your emotional well-being. If you feel that these subjects may be triggering or cause discomfort, please prioritize your mental and emotional health. If you decide to listen, we'll provide resources in the show notes for anyone who may need support. Please take care of yourself and reach out to trusted individuals or professional services if you require assistance. We appreciate your understanding, and as always, thanks for listening to Roadmap to Joy. Welcome to Roadmap to Joy. My name is Michaela Gilbreth. I'm an LMSW here at Embark. We're here to talk about grief, and my co-host with me is Jamie Mauer. Hi, um, I'm Jamie Mauer. I'm an admissions counselor here at Embark Behavioral Health. Um, I was also a behavioral health technician for years. Um, I'm also on the board of directors for a nonprofit called Owl Love You Forever. We build boxes for moms who lose babies in the hospital. And I actually received a box um, when, when I lost my son uh, 10 years ago. So yep, yeah. here to talk about grief. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I think it's important to talk about kind of um, our own losses because we are professionals in the mental health uh, field. But um, to recognize that this is a very personal experience, a very personal sort of passion for, for us and for the people probably listening here. In addition to being a, an LMSW, I also am in the middle of my grief certification. Um, I interned and volunteered at the New Song Center for Grieving Children, and I had my own uh, traumatic loss experience. My mom completed suicide five years ago. So again, this is I really appreciate you being here and being vulnerable, being open. Absolutely. I think it's, it's imperative and incredibly important that we hold space for people who are grieving and, and that, yeah, we just we're in this together. We got this devastating degree we never asked for. Absolutely. And, it's the worst club to be in. It is. And we're in it. Yeah. And we don't want anyone else to join. <laughs> <laughs> but they do. They and do. And so we got we to gotta put out some information on kind of what do we do with this? What is it, right? Absolutely. So how would you define grief? What does grief mean to you? <sighs> I think to me, honestly, like grief is, I guess the best way I heard it described um, was when I read a book by C.S. Lewis, and he said that why does grief feel so much like fear? And I think for me, like, grief is is a loss, right? And where there is great grief, where there is great pain, there was great love. And so I think in my years of experience with grief, um, it's it really has felt like love with nowhere to go. There's a great Marvel show where a line says something like, what is grief but love persevering? And that feels so, it yeah. resonates so strongly, right? Absolutely. I wanted to talk a little bit about some like, how do I word this here? Some sort of common ways that we grieve, right? So we have maturational losses where we go through one stage of life or our children go through stages of life. And as they develop or as we develop, we gain something and lose something else, right? So we know that we can have grief for things like, our kiddo going to school for the first time, right? We might grieve that sense of, oh, I had a baby and now I have a, a child, a kiddo, right? Um, 
And those are normal sort of, we can grieve those things and it's kind of a, a normal developmental process, right? Yeah. But what we're talking about here, it's, it's grief, right? It's the loss of a person. Um, can you tell me anything about complicated grief or traumatic grief? So I think for me, you know, what I've learned about complicated or traumatic grief, um, it's very layered. Okay, so it's, you know, there are, I don't know, like, so my sponsor said once, like, okay, you, you can't compare your pain with someone else's, like, this isn't the trauma Olympics. <laughs> like, gosh, yeah, no one's getting a medal here. Or everyone's so, getting a medal. And yeah. That doesn't mean anything either. Right? Exactly. And so, you know, I think in in terms of like, well, this is, you know, harder or this is more difficult. Like for me, like I had, you know, a nine week miscarriage. And then a year later, I had a 20 week stillborn baby named Edwin. And, you know, people have said kind of Things like, oh, well, wasn't losing Edwin harder? That must have been, I can't imagine, you know, going through that. That must have been harder. And for me, it was like, it wasn't harder. It was just different. And I think, you know, that difference from, you know, having a miscarriage and then having, you know, giving birth to a stillborn baby was the the visceral tra- trauma of the experience of... 36 hours of labor and and having this baby that never opened his eyes. You know, that was like a physical, visceral, traumatic kind of thing. Um, And so I think, you know, with, with traumatic grief, there is an element of, like, it's complicated. It's not, it's not that like, you know, my grandma lived 90 years you know the the natural life process cycle kind of played out which doesn't mean that losing your 90 year old grandma is any easier or harder it's just different and so I think for me with with losing Edwin it was I mean there was PTSD involved and that took a lot of years to and a lot of trauma therapy, (laughs) EMDR and all the things to really work through because it was almost like I couldn't even start grieving until I had worked through the trauma of the loss, you know? And like, so what do you feel like for you um, that has kind of looked like with with traumatic and complicated grief? So just like you, I've been in the behavioral health field, the mental health field, and I've experienced this. So it's kind of this two sides of, a, of the same coin, right? Mm-hmm. So when we think about PTSD, it's post-traumatic stress disorder, we commonly associate that with like veterans, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea of we're having nightmares or we're, we think the world is incredibly unsafe. We stop eating and sleeping. We're hypervigilant. All of those things are happening in traumatic grief and we have lost someone, right? Yeah. So it's incredibly difficult to untangle. Um, with my own mom, and I think when we talk about traumatic grief, we have to think about kind of that criteria, right? So anytime uh, a parent loses their child, it's traumatic. I mean, that's just the nature of it, right? Anytime there's an unexpected violent death or loss is traumatic. Um, suicide is always traumatic. I mean, those things are, are the things that can make us feel unsafe, and on top of that, we've lost someone. So for me, I think you were exactly right. It is layered, right? Because you have those those nightmares and those how did this happen and all of these things. 
And while we can recognize that our 90-year-old grandmother who passed peacefully in her sleep surrounded by loved ones, we can still grieve that, there's definitely a, a deeper component or a more complex component when it's, when it's traumatic like that, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering if we, as you were kind of going through your process, you had any like anticipatory grief of like what could happen? I'm grieving this before I even get into it. Do you think that that happens for people who go through loss? Absolutely. I mean, in my own experience, I remember, you know, for 20 weeks that I was pregnant with Edwin, like we knew he was sick um, at eight weeks. So my first appointment, you know, they were like, you've got this super rare blood thing where your immune system is going to attack his red blood cells and hopefully he makes it. Um, But I mean, that, that fear of knowing every day that like I could lose this baby um you know and that was absolutely something that that I went through and that even you know and I I worked with hospice patients for a little while too and you know even like knowing that it's happening or knowing like it's gonna it's coming like nothing prepares you for you can know up here and not know yeah 18 inches is a long way super long way (laughs) truly truly and so you know I think that is a whole other you know concept and that's a whole other thing to untangle and you know I think and when you say like anticipatory grief um that's not the same thing as like grieving something that could have been or sort of when we think of anticipatory grief the way that I always kind of think about it is someone who is let's say a caregiver you know and they know that they're that the person they're caring for is terminal or they know something is wrong and we are starting to grieve before it happens but we know it's going to right gosh yeah that just just you saying that uh, just really kind of hits my heart because I think you know a lot of times and you know, speaking to, to families whose whose kids are, are struggling with with suicidal ideations and suicide attempts and their mental health is, is really in jeopardy, you know, I can just imagine them feeling that, um, that it's like you're almost grieving someone or something that's could happen, you know? And so that, that layer of like, my child you know like I never dreamed this kind of life that my kid would be living like you know I guarantee when parents um have a kiddo uh and they're a baby you know the last thing that they're thinking is going to happen is that their child's going to be struggling with mental health and with and with suicidal ideations and suicide attempts and so like kind of grieving that dream that they had for their kid um and like like really going through the process of this is where my kid's at now so that's so enlightening and so insightful (laughs) I think um I want to talk a little bit then about kind of that idea of grieving things that aren't humans right Mm -hmm. we've talked about maturational losses and grief you know when we retire we lose that sense of of productivity for example Uh, which is a normal normal process. But when we have losses that are intense losses, but they're not people, they're possibilities, they're opportunities, right? Does that feel similar to grief and loss in, in other ways, do you think? I mean, in my own experience and like pulling from what I've been through, um, <clears throat> you know, when 
before losing Edwin, you know, I had a beautiful marriage and a life and like a farmhouse with like a literal white picket fence, right? The American dream. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> like we actually had a white picket fence. Um, you know, and 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 after after losing Edwin, that that all really fell apart. Um, and you know, my husband ended up leaving and you know, I think that dream that, like, I had for what felt like a split second um, was no longer, you know. And, and 10 years later, um, you know, single as a Pringle. Um, but, like, learning to love that life, too. I mean, that's, like, you know, grieving what could have been or yes. what what I used to say should have been. I'm learning to rephrase that because, you know, I am, I am where I'm supposed to be now, um, but I am definitely not where I thought I'd be at, th- sure. at 36 years Absolutely. old, you know? And so, you know, lo- kind of grieving that dream of, you know, having that family and the kids and, and you know, all of those things is, is a total real thing. And it's normal, right? Yes, it totally totally normal like if you're at a place in your life that you're like wow okay this is not anything like I thought my life would look like um, at this age or at this time I mean that is completely normal to have a grief experience um, with what could have been or those dreams that you know you thought you would have I mean, yeah, and even with Edwin, too, it was like you don't, and I talk to moms all the time who lose babies, and it's like, you know, a lot of us have been told things like, at least you didn't know them, you know, or at least they weren't older. Um, the at least are just so the oh, most unhelpful. Yes, so I wrote a whole blog that, like, there is no at least in grief, okay? Um but you know you don't you're not just losing a baby you're losing a toddler you're losing a high schooler you're losing you know a college graduate you're losing seeing them get married i mean you're losing all of those things that could have been and that is a whole other layer it is of grief it is yeah i want to spend a little time talking about the process of grief right um, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute. Please. So. I'll build you one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't even need you to build me one. I can just I can just get right up there. <laughs> yes. The sort of grief theory that a lot of Americans know, or that is kind of the general theory, is Dr. Kula-Ross's model of the five stages, right? Um, and <laughs> that's the one that we know, right? Yep. Five um, stages. Five stages. So those stages start with denial, end with acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, what a lot of people don't recognize or don't realize is that Dr. Kubler-Ross, an excellent, excellent doctor, uh, studied death, dying, grieving, open doors, like immense amount of work that she did to to get grief to be a serious place of research, right? And yeah. to study it and to learn how to deal with it. Um, so this is not out of disrespect. Yes. But we took this idea of grief that we have denial and anger and bargaining and sadness and acceptance, and we go through these stages, and then we're just done and we're fine. Right? Yeah, always. Of That's course. the way it works, right? <laughs> but who she studied was people who had gotten terminal cancer diagnoses, and it was their grieving the loss of their own life or that process of accepting their eventual death, right? But we took this idea and we sort of just ran with it, right? Part of that is because of it helps us to feel like there's some sense of control. Like, oh well, if I'm if I'm sad, that means I won't get angry anymore, right? Yeah. Is that your your experience with grief? 
that fit into that mold? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So that was kind of, you know, what I had always heard, right? Yes. And, like, that's what you hear growing up where you, you know, people are like, oh, well, you'll go through the stages, right? And then, like, then you'll be fine. Right. Um, And then, like, when I wasn't fine, I was like, what is wrong with me, right? And that is the biggest issue is that if you don't fit in this mold, that isn't meant for grieving people who have survived a loss. No. And it doesn't necessarily fit with cancer diagnoses, right? We see those feelings that come up, but there's no stages. No. There's, like, squirrels running around little tracks, you know, of, like, (laughs) coming back to this and coming back to that. And, like, it's just – it is – and I think, too, you know, I've heard so many people say really dumb things, um, which is fine. Because people see someone that they love in pain yes. and like as a human, you you want to have like an antidote, right? You want to have something to alleviate the pain you see this loved one going through. And you want some certainty, right? Yes. And I think too, like grief is, it is not meant to be understood. Um, it is not meant to be put in a box and like and formulated and controlled but I think as humans we want to have a sense of control over it because that makes us feel safe and so like other people's grief makes us uncomfortable and so when someone else's grief makes you uncomfortable it's like you as a human being and this is just our nature we want to put a formula or like steps or a construct around it so let me fix this for you yes yes so we have a sense of control there's no fixing grief though grief is does not mean we are broken it means we are human and it is not something that needs to be fixed right and so you know yeah i those stages are there's just, I mean, you can you can go through them at some, you know, certain ones, but like, I, I always thought of grief as like something that was inside of me, right? Something that I needed to, you know, kind of work around and, and figure out and like, and fix so that I could be okay again. But like, what I've learned is it's grief is outside of you, and and it's inside of us. Yeah, it's yeah. both. It's both, and it's like. It is this thing that almost has a mind of its own, and it morphs and it changes. But it's like everyone wants you to move on. And I just remember being asked, like, when are you going to move on, Jamie? Like, why do you still talk about your dead son? And um, I, I just, every time that was told to me, it was like, well... If I move on, I'm leaving him behind. That's not an option. No, it's not. And so what I've learned more and more through the years is that it's it's like you're on this journey and and you come across a, you know a rock of pain, of loss and like you put that in your backpack. Mm-hmm. And you carry it with you on this journey. And, like, yeah, you get stronger the, the longer that you carry it. Um, but you never move on from it. And it's not something we're supposed to move on from. It's more past. past. It's something that we carry with us on this journey. Right. And that, I think, is so interesting because when we look at 
treating grief, right? We can pathologize it. We can say, you know, I'm going to get a little bit on my high horse again. Um, <laughs> in the previous uh, DSM, the Diagnostic Manual, it said that if you grieved longer than two weeks, you were uh, like eligible for a depression diagnosis, right? Yes. I'm sorry, two weeks? <laughs> two weeks, right? Yeah, you get a certain you're supposed amount of time. to be fine. You're supposed to be yeah, fine, right? right? And I think we have to think of the culture that we live in as well. Mm. There's lots of cultures, oftentimes related to religion, that give us opportunities to grieve or don't, right? Yeah. The Amish community, still they still do funerals in a barn or in a home, and the whole community comes to visit, right? Yep. They are not a death-phobic culture, right? I think in America we have some death phobia. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that comes from the idea that death was dirty. We had wars and, you know, and, and so we would have all of these bodies, World War One, World War Two, right? Mm -hmm. And we have all these bodies and it's death is unclean. But if we can medicalize it, if we can put it in white sheets and sterilize it, we don't have to look at it anymore. And somehow we are past it or we are immune to it, right? And so I want to ask some kind of advice. I guess we'll do advice on what not to do. What don't you say to someone who's grieving? Mm. There's so many. There's um, lots of them. <laughs> there's lots there's of so them. There's so many of them. But for you personally, what yeah. wasn't helpful to hear? And why wasn't it helpful? So my favorite one, uh, <laughs> I mean, not favorite. Your yeah, least yeah. favorite one. Least favorite, um, I think, you know, over the years has been everything happens for a reason. <sighs> Let's let's unpack that. Okay. <laughs> what reason? Right. What reason? Right. And so I mean that for me that that what I heard through, you know, my grief lens um, was that like this was done to you and this is on purpose, you know. So you know, instead of saying that, um, what I've learned to reframe in my mind is, okay, this person wants to give me an antidote to fix me right now and make me feel better and silver line this, yes. which uh, we just cannot do. Um, and so instead of that, like instead of everything happens for a reason, I'm like, there will be purpose given to this pain someday and I can cling to that yes. and um, there also is like I have permission to allow joy and sorrow to coexist okay. they're sisters yes. yes like they get to mingle there's just things that it's like it's okay to laugh about things to to have joy and to 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 laugh through tears or you know all of that allowing that to to coexist and mingle um i think one of the other things that you know that specifically um as a baby loss mom who has been well at least you can have the at least thing right at least yeah at, at any time it starts with at least i'm like just scratch it yeah, off i'm the... like stop talking no that's enough just not listening mm -hmm. um but at least you can have another one you know, and, and what does that say? That says that your son was replaceable, replaceable. and yeah. he was not. No. And, like, he's a puppy, and I can just go to the, you know, like, right. no. And also, I don't know if I can. Yeah. So that's probably maybe not an op, you know, an option that happens. It's not um, helpful in two directions. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, and I think also that, you know, the, oh, God needed an angel. And I'm like, I don't think he needs anything from us like it's just that that whole like trying to trying to 
make it better, right? Which is not what grievers need. Like as a grief bearer, which is kind of what I've coined, I guess, for myself mm-hmm. and love Lord of the Rings, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Frodo and Samwise were carrying this burden yes. um, to Mordor and they were called ring bearers, you know, and there was a moment where Frodo could not, he couldn't carry it anymore. He couldn't walk anymore. And so Sam. So carried him. So yes. Samwise says, I can't carry this for you, mm-hmm. but I can carry you. Yes. And so like, it's, it's one of my favorite scenes of any movie, so I'm so happy that you brought it up. Yes. It's such a beautiful metaphor for being with people that are grieving. Yes. And the idea that I can't, your grief is not my grief, right? right? But I can help support you in this way. Yes. I can be available, and I can I can hold space. Yeah. The thing I always think about when I'm working with people who have grief or in my own personal experiences is you just kind of have to lean into that discomfort, mm. right? It's, it's going to feel counterintuitive, I think, but... The idea of leaning into something that doesn't feel good and we want to avoid, we want to push back on, um, the only way out is through, right? It's something that I think if we can learn as a community, as a state, as a a country to lean in a little bit and that we don't need fixing, right? I just need you to hear. I need you to listen. I need you to see me and I need you to see your son. I need you to see my mom. Mm -hmm. And that is really what it's about. There's no fixing. There is just witnessing. Tell me a little bit about what you think is helpful to someone who's in acute grief. Let's say they just found out they lost someone or they're in the first few weeks. Do you have any ideas on what people can do? We have this grief. Now what? I'm grieving. I'm caring for a grieving child or a grieving spouse or a grieving parent, a neighbor. What are your ideas? You know, I think, you know, in pulling from my own experience or what we've done, you know, with our our nonprofit with moms who lose babies it's I think for the first thing is is acknowledgement right so like I it it almost feels like people are are so uncomfortable and afraid of other people's grief that you almost feel like it's like contagious <laughs> right don't and, catch it yeah, yeah right and so they just almost like I remember the people that said nothing um that hurt way more than the people who said the wrong thing absolutely (laughs) you know what i mean because the people saying the wrong thing are you can recognize they're attempting yeah right they're reaching out and they're doing the best that maybe they've got right and so i think that first thing is to step into that discomfort to like not be afraid of someone else's pain enough to just be with them, right? And like calling, I mean, you know, calling, texting, not, you know, not like avoiding this thing that you think is contagious or makes you uncomfortable, but even just practical things like people showed up to my house and cleaned my entire house. And I didn't even like, like, and here's the thing too, like people will say like, okay, well, let me know if you need anything. And it's like, I don't know what I need. I don't know what I need right now. And so, I mean, just showing up, like, like bringing meals, not like asking for the griever to, to let you know if they need anything because they don't know what they need in that moment. And so I think, you know, just, and uh, like talk, 
talking about their loved ones, saying their name. Like, I think that was one of my, like, biggest fears was that (laughs) that I would be the only person saying Edwin. And how many people say Edwin to this day? A lot. A lot of people, (laughs) right? And that's so healing. That's so, it's it's a vulnerable space to put yourself in, but it it feels so good to know that people are, are remembering. Yeah. And I kind of like make them. Like, <laughs> you're gonna I, say it. You're yeah, gonna like I'm it. I'm one of those people that's like, I'm gonna keep talking about him, whether it makes people uncomfortable or not, um, because I also want other grievers to know that, like, to to like have that permission, almost, or if they want to, that like you can grieve on purpose and out loud too. And you might need to. Yeah, and if like. Everyone grieves different, and if you need that, like, more, you know, quiet space, like, cool. But I think so many people feel afraid to grieve out loud or to grieve on purpose. And You could put grieve out loud on a shirt, and it would just, I mean, it's a beautiful way of putting it. It's just so succinct. Yeah, and it's just, like, you can, if, if you need to do this, if you need to post pictures, if you need, you know, if that, if that helps your process, process your and journey. your journey, yeah. like do it. And who cares who it makes uncomfortable because this is a stigma we have to break. Absolutely. Because people are grieving in silence and feeling alone and um like i'm not about to let people do that <laughs> so and we can talk about sort of that that silent grief right that idea that we call it disenfranchised grief when you're not allowed to grieve because of the context that you're in your situation yeah oftentimes we see this with uh nurses who are caring for people and yep. maybe a patient passes and they still have a shift to do right <laughs> but we ourselves can be disenfranchised in some way because maybe our culture or religion our family says we don't talk about it. Yeah. It's too painful. And it causes shame when we have those feelings, right? And that is so detrimental to the whole healing process. Absolutely. I want to pull back just a little bit. I want to talk about kind of that acute grief when it first happens. Yeah. I'm going to get a little medical here, a little bit a uh, little bit of biology. Grief is a stress response, right? Yes. We get epinephrine and we get all of those hormones flooding and cortisol flowing through our bodies. Yeah. Our immune system takes a hit. Uh, we are more susceptible to cardiac issues, inflammatory disorders and diseases. I mean, it really is truly a stressful situation. Absolutely. Um, and biologically, physiologically, it is a it is a stress response. And that acute grief is one of the most, I mean, I think it's like number two on the list of like most stressful situations is like the death of a spouse or a parent, right? Um, and so I really want anyone who's listening to remember that if we have grief, it is very likely you're going to get sick. You're going to feel run down. Emotionally, you're not going to feel great. We know that. But yeah. physically, you're not going to be running 10Ks probably, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have to really think about taking care of our bodies um, as we move through grief. We talked about what you wouldn't say. I want to know what you would say to someone who's grieving or someone who is in a, in a moment that they, they need that support. I think, honestly... <laughs> the things that I would say or you know do um is not try to fill the silence or like that that uncomfortable space right but like honestly simply saying like I love you and I am so sorry and say like 
saying their name, yeah. right? Or, you know, even just asking, you know, what was your favorite part of, you know, this time with, and then their name, or, you know, you know, can talking about, you know, that person and allowing the griever that space to talk about them as well. I would say, you know, things like I am here for the long haul, right? Because like, you can almost put a date on the calendar mm -hmm. of when everybody moves on, right? So everyone else, you know, there's this rush of support and like Absolutely. everyone's coming in and everyone's talking about it yeah. and there's posts all over social media and then everyone else kind of moves on with their, their lives and you're like still in shock right. and so you know I think it's really important and I've learned to kind of be a long hauler with people of like yeah. hey in a month in a couple months like I'm still going to be checking on you and I'm still going to be like coming over and like watching your kids or you know folding your laundry right, you know right. like I'm still gonna talk about your child or your you know your spouse or your parent or your friend like like I'm not afraid of your grief and I'm not afraid of your pain and I want to just kind of sit here with you um, and so I think just just allowing the griever, you know, that space to talk about it if they want to, to not talk about it if they don't, but to just be there. Yeah. You know, what would you say? I think, and it's, I was going to go with something you already said, so you <laughs> stole my answer. Sorry. Um, I was, I feel like what's, what's really important for people is, again, to share their person. And so for me, it's tell me a story. And I think we also struggle as a culture to, we sort of put our beloved dead on a pedestal. They never did any wrong. Um, we can't speak ill of them. They can have never made us angry or sad or anything because now they're gone. And so I can only talk about good things. And so for me, I think it's important to talk about some of the struggles I had with my mom or to have my clients or the people I'm working with talk about the good and the bad, the silly and the disgusting and the, <laughs> yeah. the beautiful and the not so beautiful, right? I mean, I think we do a disservice to, I call them our beloved dead, right? our beloved dead that we have to just look at them as through one single facet, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's always tell me a story or what was this like? Mm -hmm. And watching people be able to, and this is to your point, we can cry and we can still, we can still move, right? Yeah. They're crying and they're telling me a story. Or they're crying and they're laughing or they're crying and they're healing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we can cry and do anything, right? I can, I can cry and do yard work, yeah. you know, and sometimes <laughs> in grief you do that, right? Yeah. You cry and you do all this stuff. And so for me, that's what I think is really important is that remembrance piece. And that brings me to the topic of kind of rituals. So we know that we have in our culture, um, we do funerals, memorial services, mm -hmm. and we have certain things that we do. I mean, Jewish culture, for example, Orthodox, um, they, they do sitting Shiva. They give time to be away between the death and the funeral for you don't have responsibilities, just take care of this, this process, right? But as an American culture, I want us to think about the fact that we don't have a ton of rituals, right? We have kind of the funeral or the memorial service, and then we dust our hands off, right? Like three days. Yeah, <laughs> right. God, wouldn't it be nice if we were done with it in three days? Yeah. But we're not. Nope. So how, what are rituals that you feel like people can do? Um, or what are moments that you think we could put in rituals to help people remember and grieve? Mm. You know, I think um, one of the things that, like, 
my family's always done every year, whether it's, you know, on his birthday and due dates, that kind of thing is like we do balloon release, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, or write letters and and send them off on on balloons. Um, You know, I think one thing too for um, like baby loss awareness or um, infant and pregnancy awareness loss, um, there's like a day where we all, it's called a wave of light and we all light a candle at the same time. And 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 having things i mean like i have a tattoo on my foot <laughs> of my son's name and his teeny footprints yes. um he's always walking with me you know things like that like getting remembrance tattoos or you know having that special thing that um is like theirs you know so for edwin it's butterflies yes. you know and and just i think i just think it's really important to you know and i've had people for his 5th birthday i think i had 40 people show up yeah and we had a like a cake and a, bl- a balloon release we did led light like yeah. the led balloons at night and it was amazing and i just remember looking around thinking <laughs> like there are 40 people here for a birthday party of a little boy they've never met and um just like that level of support and like just acknowledgement was like such an honor um and so I just think like not being afraid to say their name or you know to have the special I mean people have sent me you know butterfly earrings or you know like things that are just like I know this is his thing and like this made me think of you and just like that importance is just incredible like honoring right and so there's ways that you can you can honor your loved one and then also like acknowledging and honoring other people's right I always say that if you have never experienced a loss it's because you were the first to go I mean it's such a universal experience yes we we lose people I mean it, it happens it's a fact of life it's something that we can wrestle with all the time but being able to to be with people as they go through the things that we went through such um, an honor it's, and it's it's it feels horrible yeah and we get it's to do awful. it and it's and it's beautiful <laughs> and it's awful yes um another piece of as we sort of talk about this some advice i wanted to think about is the idea that we pour in dump out right are you familiar with the concept yeah a little bit but okay school me <laughs> So the idea, I'm going to give an example. Your neighbor passes, you are very close to your neighbor. You're probably not going to go to your neighbor's spouse and talk about how difficult it is for you Hmm. because the spouse was almost definitely much closer to the neighbor, slightly. Probably, Probably, right? There's always exceptions to a rule. (laughs) But the idea being that when we are grieving someone, we don't want to dump on the people closest to that griever, right? Or to the the person that passed. Yes. We want to dump on the people... Who, uh, who are further away, right? Um, in the example of a neighbor, you might go to your spouse, you know, who was not close to the neighbor and say, I'm really struggling here. Can you walk me through this? Versus going to their spouse yeah. and talking about, this is so hard for me. No one will understand. And I'm sure that you've gotten those comments of uh-huh. how hard this is for. Yeah. Or I know how you feel. Mm-hmm. My dog died. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's different, right? Yeah, not the drama Olympics, but right. yeah, you right. know. <laughs> but like 
Okay, yeah, so yeah. So as we think about supporting people in grief, we can think about pour in support towards the center, the center being the person who passed, right? That's spouses or or partners, that is children, that is parents. And then as we kind of go outward, we can dump out, you know, um, just to provide that sort of community support, that wraparound. Because I think that oftentimes we don't think about that, right? We think about everyone's hurting and I'm hurting and who do I talk to? We don't always know who to talk to or who to go with, right? And I think it's it's so important to recognize that we do have someone, but it can't be the person closest, right? They need the most support. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. How do you feel like you, I'm trying to have the words to say here, how do you feel like you, you sit with your feelings when they come up? Because it's been years, mm-hmm. and yet you still have grief symptoms. Oh, yeah. So how do we sit with that? How do we say to ourselves, well, it's been X amount of years. I should be over it because we we do say those things to ourselves, you know. Or people say them to you. Or yeah. people say them to you, right? <laughs> yeah. In, like, in, in our media, in our, like, in our movies and TV shows, we see someone die and we get one scene where someone's crying one single tear. And then they get a speech about how life goes on and they heroically show up and everything's better and fine, right? So I think there's a lot of shame about grief. So being someone who has had grief for a long time, mm-hmm. how do we sit with those feelings when we know they're going to crop up and when they do? Whew. Yeah, that's a heavy one. It's a um, heavy question. It is interesting to look back um, on, you know, 10 years, a decade of grief, you know, and it, it's, it, it's like that's where, like, my grief journey started was, was yes. losing Edwin. Um, you know, after that, I lost my marriage. Um you know, shortly after that, I lost one of my best friends, uh, Matt, in a car accident. Um, after that, um, I lost, you know, the guy I was dating to COVID, and I was there with him in the room and um, when he passed away. And so it's just like there has been kind of like grief upon grief upon grief. Um, and so... It's like, I, and every, every one has been different, right? There's just, there's different elements, I feel like. Like, there's different rooms of your heart um, that get opened. And, you know, I think what I've learned, how to sit in the discomfort or sit in those feelings um, has been to not, you know, because in the past, too, you know, I've tried to run and numb and you know, do everything I could to escape these feelings because it was like, this is too much. This pain is way too much. I can't. It's going to overwhelm me completely. Yes, like honestly felt there were times where I'm like, this is going to kill me. Like I am going to die. I can't get past this. There's no way. Right. And so I think one of the biggest um, tools that I've been able to, you know, pull out is, is like breathing. Like honestly, if like four, seven, eight, thanks mom, you know, (laughs) like, um, is, is really sitting and breathing and like music has been a huge, huge, um, I guess tool and, and a way that I've been able to process through things where it's like, I have no words right now, but like this song that this person wrote, um, is the words, you know, or I write music too, you know, um, processing through that like talking to somebody who gets it you know my my good friend Shayla who started this nonprofit I'll love you forever when she lost her twins 
I would call her, still do, you yeah. know, at three in the morning, like, I can't do this. I'm going, I'm going yeah, through it again. I'm like, I'm in it. And yes. she's like, I'm in it with you, you yeah. know. Um, having those safe people that have, you know, given you space to be to be where you're at um you know and and honestly you know having a really good therapist and doing trauma therapy and I think it's just there's so many facets but I think the biggest one is just it's just knowing that like every baby shower (laughs) um announcement or every pregnancy announcement or I do a lot of maternity photos or you know newborn photos and they've gotten easier to do um but there is still always this like little sting right that like this might not ever happen for me someday and like that's okay um but uh, I, I volunteer with foster kids Um, with teenagers in the foster care system with hope and a future and um that those kids have been like probably the most healing they like hurt and heal my heart in the same moment um because they're like I call them shadow kids um so kind of like they're you know at that age where it's like oh my gosh Edwin would be this age you know and I'm watching what you know 10 11 12 year old little boys are into or like you know how they act which is you know kind of off the wall sometimes you know but like these kiddos are in foster care and as much as like my mother heart feels like it's got all this love with nowhere to go Mm -hmm. like their heart for a mother's love is like bigger and so like pouring into these kids um has been one of the most healing things for me and so I think yeah I mean that's that has been one of the probably the most healing things is pouring into others who are hurting um and you know these moms that that lose babies that we get to make boxes for I think it's just you know giving purpose to your pain and turning tragedy to joy um because you know, like joy really grows out of the soil of suffering, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, just like looking for opportunities of, of how I can be a vessel of, of hope and a vessel of, of joy in the midst of and because of tragedy yes. and loss. Yes. So, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about something you said, and that was that connection is the healing piece of that right grief comes from or there is a framework uh through um, attachment theory that's john bowlby he had his whole child attachment this is how parents and children attach right and it's because of that attachment system that we have that we grieve if we were not attached to anyone in our lives we would not grieve them and so it really is, again, physiologically and biologically and psychologically mixed that we would have attachment and grief together. Yeah. And that the only way to heal, I won't even say all of it, but most of it, right, is through connection. Mm-hmm. And that connection piece is the most important piece, I think, when we think about that healing process. Let's talk a little bit, just as we kind of wrap this up, about uh, parents with children who are grieving. What might you say to a parent? Or do you have some, because I have some ideas. But I'm wondering, you've, you, uh, 
are spending so much time supporting these mothers. How might you help them with their children who might also be grieving or who have lost a sibling? What might you say or what might you do? I mean, you know, and through With I Love You Forever, we do a lot of these, you know, a lot of these moms who lose babies have kids. They have, you know, six, seven, ten-year-old kids who are like, what? You know, and like they've lost a, a sibling or, you know, you know, or kids who've lost grandparents. You know, I think honestly, like any any like nugget I could give um, would just be to to allow that kid to have space to talk about you know their feelings and you know if they if they want to you know cry if they want to be angry if they want to you know throw a pillow or you know whatever like just giving them that space to grieve how they need to but Jamie they're kids they're not supposed to know death they're not supposed to grieve what do we say to that? I say that that's not true. <laughs> but we I, have that idea, right? If, if someone passes, they go to the neighbors. They go to grandmas or something. We don't include our children in the grieving process, right? Right. And I think it's so important to recognize that our our children will have grief feelings too. Yes. And it's going to, like, like shielding them from that, mm-hmm. it's going to affect them down the road, you know? And I mean... Some people have thought it's crazy, but we've had moms where, you know, they've had a stillborn baby and the siblings come meet their, their, you know, little brother or sister. Yeah. Yeah. And what that does is it, it normalizes, right, this thing and it destigmatizes, but it also allows these kids to have a grasp on the reality of death, like when it's like as adults I feel like this might be a huge reason why we don't know what to do with it is because like it was no some, one taught us no and it was like we weren't exposed to it and like we've you know even with you know back in the day 30 years ago if a mom had a stillborn baby they took the baby and the mom never had to hold that baby never and, saw the baby yeah sometimes. and it's like that doesn't make it any better (laughs) like now you're just having an ambiguous loss of like I never even saw this person that that died I never saw that right and so I think you know for kids I think it's so I mean when my grandma died when I was 10 you know people told my mom she was crazy but like we my mom had us me and my sister Mm -hmm. come in that room you know with hospice and and we got to say goodbye and we got to have that tangible um experience with the reality of death and like i i fully believe that that experience carried through into my adulthood to where i'm like a advocate for if like like let's get real and like let's talk about this because just shoving it down and trying to numb it it, it's it's not doing it you can't start healing from anything when you do that and so I just think as much as you know you can just allowing your kiddos to to feel their big feelings and not tell them they shouldn't feel a certain way you know because it makes you uncomfortable but if just, it doesn't work with adults it's probably not going to work with children yeah. we have to be able to feel those feelings yes and just giving them space to yes. we know developmentally that some children have a different view of death than others right um with littles, I always say five to seven, we have to get really concrete about what death is because they know that death is less alive 
but don't quite understand is it permanent you know and so I think we have to look at things developmentally yeah. and it's okay to give kids that idea that it's a concrete thing right that we're gonna have a chance to say goodbye we're going to be able to talk about it after and during and before right I think the best time in my experience to prep a child for a loss is before the loss happens you know we can use um, media we can use books and TV shows and movies that when a death happens and a child has a question we can answer those questions honestly right we don't have to say oh it's just a movie and then they never really know and I think using those opportunities to to be a supportive family you know to have that whole family system come together and grieve together is so important because oftentimes as we know we feel so isolated oh, yeah. and that connection is kind of the most healing part of the whole thing Absolutely. Um, is there anything else you would like to add as we kind of wrap up uh, this episode any extra advice anything you want to share I mean I think you know just just to kind of wrap it up on my end is is that I, I fully believe and I've seen evidence of and I just I feel like I am on this quest <laughs> um, to to share about my own story and like even the icky chapters that make people uncomfortable um, because my my heart's cry is that anyone who is hurting um, knows that they're not alone yeah. and so like for me that it like I will I will do that till the day I die like I will continue to talk about the things that make others uncomfortable um, because I want to see change in this world and I want people who are suffering who are hurting to know that a there's hope and that they're not alone and that they they belong yeah. so I love that. yeah I think just to wrap up um, from my end I just want to kind of summarize what we've all talked about and that is that grief is normal grief is universal if you've never experienced it because you were the first one gone right yeah. everyone's gonna have it it makes it so different than depression or anxiety or because not everyone has those experiences of like clinical depression but right. everyone's gonna experience a loss right yeah. so it's it's normal it's universal it's not gonna look the same for everyone yeah. And I think it's okay to take the time to isolate a little bit and like find your feelings and sit there. And it's okay to go out and to be with people. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to cry. It's okay to scream. You might do all of those in one day and you're still normal. You know, you're still okay. And I want to just emphasize again that we can integrate grief. We can walk with grief. We can mm -hmm. integrate it so it's not something that is debilitating every moment of our lives. And we don't set it down. Mm. It's still with us. And that is, that's how we, how we do it, how we live, right? Yeah. And so I think that's what I want people to leave with today is that we will walk with it and it might feel a little lighter, but that's not because it's lighter, it's because we get a little stronger. That's right. Yep. And yeah, uh, grief does not make us broken, it makes us human. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. Right. It was beautiful talking to you. You too. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been Roadmap to Joy. If you enjoyed this episode, you can like or subscribe. And thanks for listening and watching. Mm -hmm.